Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider weekly podcast for all things animation, including news, reviews, and interviews coming to you all the way from a Canadian animation production company. I'll be your co-host, Sean Paul Ellis, a.k.a. Cyber5. And joining me, you've heard him ooh and ah already, all the way from a Japanese animation production company, he's my co-host, Dave Trumbor, otherwise, a.k.a. Cyber7. David, 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 how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, bud. It's weird that my uh, English language sectors are the only ones that are working now. Neither my Canadian language nor Japanese are currently functioning. So unfortunately, I have to converse with you just in English today. Even due to the fact that this is really actually a Spanish written comic book? It is all over the place. That was originally produced and and created for an Italian comic book series? There's a lot of things going on that will break down. The best part is it has nothing to do with America. (laughs) We can just take off our America hat today and we don't even have to worry about it. We are international with this cartoon, which is a joy. And I can't wait to get into it. But I want to ask Dave, a.k.a. Cyber7, how does it feel being, I don't know, maybe the the latest model in the series? Feels pretty good, though. I did come off the line back in, I don't know, 1999 or so. So I would imagine if these companies are still in, (laughs) if they're still functional, there may be some Cyber8s or Cyber9s running around. It's very weird that you're still running Windows Millennium Edition. (laughs) I know. That's why I'm a little slow on the uptake. If you guys hear a pause between call and response, that's just... Buffering. Buffering. Nobody's run my check update cycle in a while. And once they do... Oh boy, it's gonna get rough. Well, you want to turn those automatic updates off? Just let just let your <laughs> just OS die slowly. Just get rid of it. It's just gonna brick your entire computer. Security patches, hot fixes, just knock it off right now. You don't need them. You really don't need them. Are we giving away the the secret to Cyber Six here by talking about computer implants and? cybernetic systems and upgrades and you know that's one thing that i don't i don't think i've seen too much in sci-fi i don't think i've seen too many like cybernetic beings like have to like go on downtime because they needed a patch or like (laughs) wait for an update to download Uh, i want to say that's actually kind of what i hope if we ever get into a terminator situation yeah where suddenly the terminators are just like oh we got to push out a patch right now and we're just like nice we know it's coming on a sunday morning exactly Let's just ddos their going. servers like you don't have to blow them up you don't have to like melt them in like pools of lava like mount doom or anything just like <laughs> ddos their servers and they'll just be frozen you can just go take them apart with a phillips head screwdriver like it'll be fine also just maybe like knock out power supplies Ultimately, yeah. that's kind of like where everything's coming from right Some now. Some EMPs. It'd be fine, guys. Dang, we're still living off of batteries right now. <laughs> Duracell is still in effect. It's it's important. So get rid of that. Get rid of the Terminators. This episode sponsored by Duracell. Can't wait. Built to <laughs> last. Is that there? That's is like that Ford Tough. I don't know what I that is. I don't even know. Don't worry about it. We don't have to worry about it. You know why? Because we're talking about the cartoon Cyber Six. Oh, say that again for the listeners out there who are like, wait, what did he just say? Cyber and then the number six. Perfect. Yeah, not Cyber Sex. This is still a relatively age appropriate show. Yeah, I will probably screw it up, and there will definitely be some moments where I will not consider my diction in terms of saying the actual name of this cartoon, and I will probably say Cyber 6, and you'll be like, wait, what did he actually say? Don't worry about it. Kids listening out there, anytime you experience Cyber 6, always consider your diction. (laughs) If you hear me say Cyber 6 or Cyber 6, take a shot. That's how this works, kids. 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 (laughs) Good. You didn't hear what I said. Take a shot of wheatgrass. Everybody be healthy out there. Be healthy. It is still kind of cold outside right now. 
This is important as Cyber Six because this comes from a listener recommendation. That's right. Whether you're a new or an old listener, we love it when we get listener recommendations. Uh, we'll explain how you, as a listener right now, can actually provide us with a listener recommendation. And if you've heard me say this spiel before, it's never been truer than right now. Our cartoon lawyers legally say that we have to review cartoons if you send them to us. So we're Why do you think we're through. doing it now? Yeah. Why do you think we're doing it now? The lawyers let a lot of 2019 skip by, and in 2020, they're like, mandates are coming down hard on Dave and Sean. Pick it up, gang. So... We are getting into the cartoon Cyber Six. This comes from Andrew, who is Canadian. And he called and he actually recommended that we talk about Cyber Six. So let's actually hear from Andrew in his own words. So Andrew, take it away. Hey there, Sean and Dave. This is Andrew, your Canadian best friend from the frozen flatlands of Manitoba, Canada. I'm here to throw out my recommendation for Cyber Six. I think it's... uh, really fun and interesting fusion of Japanese animation, Canadian kind of production, and Argentine storytelling. It's based on a graphic novel from Argentina that's shockingly dark. And then watching the uh, producers of the show trying to take those elements and make it into a slightly more digestible, kid-friendly cartoon is always very interesting. Kind of like how TMNT was made extremely adult in its, like, well, relatively adult in its original orientation and then became much more kid-friendly. So hope you enjoy the recommendation and uh, see if we can represent Canada a little bit better than Tripping the Rift this time. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew, so much for calling in. I am very intrigued with the comment, shockingly dark. Mm. So definitely want to kind of get into that today. So... First and foremost, thank you, Andrew, for your recommendation and also acknowledging that uh, Tripping the Riff is a terrible Canadian export. If you are curious, you can go back into our back catalog and you can listen to the episode that where we talk about Tripping the Riff. It is unconscionably terrible. Unwatchable, and, and we unwa- watched it, so you and don't we, have to. And, um, and we dipped it. because <laughs> it is. Oh, did that, we dip it? Nice. I'm, I'm 99% sure that we dipped that card. Guys, go back is, and listen to it. Let us know if we dipped it. <laughs> it is awful and offensive. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of you have contacted us over social media, and you have actually recommended cartoons that we should watch. We love that. We absolutely love it. But here's the thing. The internet is a pretty vast, expansive place, and sometimes, uh, you know, it's hard to kind of keep track of all of the recommendations that we get on Twitter or some of these different uh, mediums. Plus, we love to hear from you. So if you really want to recommend us a cartoon and you want to know how, go to the bio for any of our social media sites, click on the link tree. I know I say it all the time. Click on the link tree link. And then there's a button where you can actually submit your suggestion or you can go one step further and you can actually call us. That's 202-681-4406. So you can either submit via a Google form and be fun and faceless and nameless and don't worry about it, or you can call us at 202-681-4406. This ensures that you get the proper shout-out as Andrew just did, and we're going to feature your message in the show. Plus, we have to 100%, as per our cartoon lawyers, review this cartoon. And case in point, we just had a YouTube comment saying, well, first of all, appreciate it because they were listening to our more recent shows and they said that they would love for us to do Street Sharks. Here's a great point because we did it. 
Now, that was 240-some <laughs> episodes ago, so yep. I sent a link on YouTube. Uh, that is episode 20, uh, which sounds awful. It sounds like we recorded it underwater, but hey, things change. Times are changing. That was five years ago. <laughs> Give us a break. <laughs> but no, like that that's exactly what we're talking about here. Like This is a great way for you guys to be like, if you want to get in touch with us directly and actually have your your voice or your just opinions heard on the show, this is a great way to do it. Love it. And so since we're going to be talking about Cyber 6, we need to hand this over to longtime friend of the show, Bobby Anthem, to break down the synopsis for Cyber 6 at Andrew's recommendation. So, Bobby, take it away. Cyber 6 is the name of a powerful, advanced female genetic construct android who is the creation of a malevolent scientist named Von Richter. He considers her a failed creation owing to her indomitable free will, and she was forced to escape to avoid termination by her creator. Now she hides in regular society as a male teacher named Adrian Seidelman, but she stalks the night as a caped superhero. Vowing eternal opposition to the plans of her creator and his henchmen, she protects her newfound world and friend and seeks the humanity that her creator denied from her. Thank you, Bobby. Love it. Always perfect and spot on. This show is a little bit interesting, and I don't feel sometimes like the synopsis gives you kind of the full context, and we'll we'll unpack some of the things that are inside of I this. I don't know if the first episode gave us the full context. Uh, Definitely did not. No. <laughs> it's also interesting to note that this cartoon show, when it was produced in 1999, was originally planned for two seasons, and it only made it one season yeah. due to some poor viewership at that time. Granted, you know what? It was the, you know, it was sort of right before Y2K. Let's be very honest. We didn't have some of the tech that we had in order to kind of share some cool things that we have. Uh, in the same way that we do right now, which is to our detriment sometimes. See, now I like that you said Y2K, because in my mind, I was just like, oh, the producers thought that we were all just going to die. So they just didn't green light any shows past like that current season. They're like, we're all dead after the year That's actually how 1999 and 2000 functioned. People were just like, we're canceling everything right now. Sean's kind of joking, but not really. There was like this weird manufactured hysteria for anybody who wasn't old enough to experience the Y2K nonsense that literally just thought like anything that was remotely computerized was just going to stop functioning. So nobody really planned for anything in the year 2000. They were just like, let's just wait and see, and we'll pick it up as we go. Right. And it's it's also interesting to note that for Cyber 6, there were a lot of themes from the original 1991 comic book that they actually had to obviously tone down yeah. for the 1999 animated miniseries, such as with our, our main protagonist, uh, kind of in the cartoon, and we'll talk about it a little later, where she sort of gets her power by drinking this green vial. In the comic book, she is actually just biting people on the neck and drinking that f- essence from them. Uh, and she's getting the same sort of sustenance or power that she needs, but she's not a vampire. There's no fangs. She's just literally just biting somebody's neck and just <laughs> like a vampire and just sucking everything. <laughs> just That's really kind of like chompers. So this year uh, in movie theaters, this stick with me. This will make sense in a second. Morbius is coming out in movie theaters. Oh boy, Morbius the Living Vampire, Jared Leto. Uh, why am I talking about that today? Well, because the animated series of Spider-Man in the mid-90s also featured Morbius, but because of <laughs> because of censors, and Sean knows what I'm talking about, yep. because of the censors, he couldn't bite people and drink their blood. He still had to live off of blood or what they called like plasma, which is like life force energy or whatever. He had squid-like suckers 
on the palms of his hands that he used to siphon like blood and plasma out of people. So as not to show blood or not to show him like biting somebody's neck to draw blood out. So kind of the same thing going on here a few years later. Uh, weird change. I didn't know that they did that. So yeah. thanks for that trivia. It's uh, it's always weird to kind of see some of that stuff and sort of how we adapt it for sensors at right. this point too. So, oh man. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit more about Cyber 6. Yeah. And in order to kind of approach this topic, we're going to talk about not a spaghetti Western, but we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the LOL. Yes, I know it sounds a lot like that Clint Eastwood movie, and we've obviously changed it from ugly to LOL. We get it. We get it. That's kind of the point. That's the one where he says, get off my lawn, right? That's 100%. Yep, that's 100%. That's the one. Nailed it. That's the one where he's driving drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, not at all. Don't worry about it. Uh, So we're going to talk about what was good, what worked for this show, and what we found to be impressive and really kind of resonated for us. We're going to talk about the bad, talk about things that kind of didn't hit with us or miss their mark or or things that we just simply didn't like about watching this one cartoon. And then finally, we're going to talk about the LOL, things that made us laugh, whether intentional or unintentional. We're doing all of this based off of the snap decision of watching season one, episode one. So if you're thinking to yourself, man, they get into a lot of stuff that Sean and Dave are not talking about. Yeah, I know. Sorry. These are time constraints and we're adults and we can't watch entire first season and then talk about this. The show comes out weekly. So recognize that we spend a lot of time watching cartoons and putting these together. We can't possibly do all of that. Would love Otherwise, to. we'd have yeah. yeah, we'd love to. We'd have no life outside and we'd only be putting out like one episode a month. So visit patreon.com slash Saturday morning cartoons <laughs> if you want us doing this eight hours a day for you guys, because we yeah. would love to. God. Uh so we're gonna get into first the good and and, and so Dave, I kind of want to throw this out there because there's a lot that we've heard, obviously, from Andrew, that we've heard from Bobby so far in our synopsis of kind of moving into this. Uh, what was maybe sort of like the the high level? What was the main thing that you really enjoyed from Cyber Six? Well, I, rather than like the, maybe the main thing uh, at first, the first thing that I get an impression of, as we do with most of our shows, is the theme song and the intro sequence. And honestly, a good theme song and intro sequence can kind of make a show for me because it establishes like the mood, the look, the tone, the sound. It kind of establishes everything right out of the gates. If you do it well, it can be good. You can overlook some of the other (laughs) stuff that, you know, will ultimately make it into our bad and LOL sections, but you can, you can be like, you know what? They started off great and I would like to see more of it, especially like Sean mentioned, like if you're going to be watching these episodes over and over and over again, Remember, kids, this is back before Netflix even existed, let alone before the skip intro option was available on all your playable devices. You sat through the theme song, but you didn't have a choice. It was live TV. You just sat through that theme song. So if it was good, that was a good experience. If it was bad, you went and got a bowl of cereal or something, came back in 30, 30 seconds later. Yeah. Uh, for this I one, was going to the bathroom. I had agency. Exactly. Dave. Exactly. Yeah, whatever you had to do, you're just like, I'm on the clock. I don't need to watch this trash. I'll be back. But for this, like, I really enjoyed it. It had kind of a a noir, but like a ballad kind of. It was really interesting and different from pretty much anything else that we've heard on this show so far. And the not just the, the musical quality of it, but then the visuals that they present you with. Very heavily inspired by Batman the Animated Series. But you also get some character introductions that look a little Eon Flux-like. You get a little bit of throwback to classic, I think, 40s comics like The Shadow. And you even get a little flair of like a Carmen Sandiego thrown into. So it was a lot of visuals and, and uh, sound stuff that they're throwing at you, but it all really worked well together. And as this was the first time we were seeing anything for this show, 
it made you want to see more. So to me, that was a really strong starting point. How about you? What did you think of the opener? No, I agree. To kind of piggyback off of the theme song, you know, the other component of this is really just sort of the animation style. And you see what looks like, I mean, and, and granted, we've watched a lot of cartoons that have been in the 90s. This is sort of the wheelhouse for, for Dave and I is sort of 90s, like late 80s, early 90s animation. So this had a very fluid look to it. Yeah. I, I love the idea that it, it seemed like there was a lot of action that was going to go on, or at least in the theme song, it's conveying that message. And I think it kind of delivered for, for the most part for, for episode one. Yeah. So there's a lot that's in there. Uh, there's also uh, a lot of what seems to be defying physics. I, yeah, and I want to talk about that too in, in sort yes. of the, the good section. Go ahead. And, and, and you can definitely tell that there was some anime inspiration yeah. that is carried into this from the, the fact that we've had two production studios, Canada, as well as also a Japanese production studio involved in making this. There are some moments where looking at the titular character at Cyber 6, I wondered... The same impression that Dave had. Is she Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> is this something for maybe uh, Galaxy Express? Or is she kind of a witch? Like, I, the hat, kind of the Carmen Sandiego hat. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, this is a weird confluence of a whole lot of different ideas. Yeah, because you had uh, the cape, know. like the shadow. I mean, you had this right. sort of Frank Miller, like, dark silhouette against a semi, like, relatively bright background. Everything was right. usually pretty dark because it's all at night. You get that kind of, like, Dark Knight uh, aesthetic, but then you get a flash of red, which reminds us of both the shadow and Carmen Sandiego. And then, yeah, like the big floppy hat, and you're just kind of like, I don't, you're kind of floating over the rooftops too, so I don't know if this is like a bewitched <laughs> situation or like, what's happening? But all that stuff drew me in to really make me pay attention and like watch whatever was about to happen, because I had no clue. And I still right. don't really understand most of it, but I, I, I was enthralled just kind of watching it, and I like that a lot. Yeah, I just I think that, you know, from the theme song to have that kind of carry over, yeah. there are a lot of times that we will watch a theme song. And yes, I could get into this theme song and say I was a little annoyed that we sort of didn't get a, a cast of characters. Sure. We didn't get a roll call and everything. But I, I, I agree with Dave that this is one of those rare instances where it didn't need one. Uh, or let's say it, it didn't need as much of a one as I put a lot of emphasis on. Yeah. This did a good job of kind of setting up with that style, that tone. Uh, kind of helping you with those expectations. And I, I agree that a theme song can absolutely 100% make or break how I'm going to feel going into a cartoon. I'd say the big thing that I think is sometimes challenging is that you watch a theme song and you'll watch the animation style and you'll think to yourself, wow, there's a, there, there's a lot of animation and either the, the color palette's slightly off or it looks like it's actually kind of nicer or sort of flashier. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, I'd say that the palette and sort of what they had in the animation, the theme song still translated over into the actual episode themselves. It felt like it. Yeah. It felt pretty seamless. And, and it seemed like it was sort of a, a hybrid in terms mm. of the theme song, because it seemed like there was some dedicated animation as well as some that was recycled from the actual episodes itself. Right. But it, it didn't seem to have too much of a difference in terms of what was recycled versus what was dedicated it seemed like they were thankfully you know working from the same kind of uh muted color palette that they had nothing was sort of like emphasized more in the dedicated specifically for the theme song animation and i will say too and this kind of just dawned on me when you were talking about like the things that we look for in the cartoon theme song versus what we got with this one it feels like a bond theme song 
It feels oh, like a Bond yeah. theme song where it's just yeah, kind yeah. of like there's like beautiful James people. James Bond Jr. chases scum. Yeah, but like a good, world. but like a good Bond theme song, like a okay. like a movie quality, because you've yeah. just got like this great like a singer and she's just kind of doing this ballad and you're just not really sure what's. It felt very French in that it was like uh, the the feel of it was more yeah. important than what they were actually saying. And it felt kind of like a Bond theme song. Now, granted, you get the same one every time, but <laughs> it, it had that kind of like quality and, and feeling to it. They're like, here's the emotions we want you to. In episode two, Billie Eilish does the theme song. It makes sense. Time yeah. traveling Billie Eilish. Yeah. But I cut you off. You were saying, you know, in future theme songs or just sort of the difference. No, that was it. I mean, it's just kind of like it, it felt very similar to a Bond theme song. Not that we get a different one every episode, but that it's that kind of that kind of feeling, that kind of ballad that overplays the action that we're getting. And I like it. it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something about the physics of the animation, which was actually one of my good points. Could I elaborate on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, please, please. So I liked one of the first things that we see after this kind of crazy intro sequence of, of shadowy figures jumping over rooftops and like <laughs> brawls between creatures and, and we, just stuff that we don't even know because we have no context for. One of the first shots of the show itself is just like kind of a heavyset guy in a trench coat getting into a car. <laughs> like that's that's it. <laughs> that's, your, that's your introduction to the show. And I liked it because it felt real. Like it felt like this was a guy who was actually carrying some weight on his frame. When he gets in the car, you can kind of hear him grunt and he kind of like shifts into the seat to be able to like to get in there and kind of like scooches himself into the seat. And it just like little touches like that in the animation of just him getting into a car and sitting into it and watching the car kind of rock back and forth a little bit. It felt very real and grounded. It felt like it had a sense of gravity and physics. Meaning that when our heroes and villains later on are just like busting through walls and yeah. like jumping 50 feet into the air, like that to me, I liked it because it separated the kind of quote unquote normal realistic world from the characters who are more heightened, more supernatural, right. uh, more otherworldly. It, it had a nice distinction in the animation itself, which you usually don't really see. Usually things are kind of floating all over the place and then your superheroes or whatever, they just float more. Uh, this is kind of a, it was a nice distinction. Yeah. You know, and, and to kind of piggyback off that, something that I liked that I thought was definitely on the good point is sort of this Cyber Six character yeah. that we've sort of been talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think you and I both agree that there's a little bit of Aeon Flux that's also kind of mixed in definitely. to this character. Yeah. And and when we and, and just to kind of help separate this this part of the conversation. So the Cyber Six character is feminine. Uh, right. is a woman the hero then, version right the hero version of cyber six is uh is a, a, like a female what seems like android and very well and, and you don't know like the android stuff right. until pretty much the end of the first episode but like they go out of their way to make it intentional that like they do kind of like slow-mo shots not fan servicey stuff just like as she's kind of coasting across the moon you're very much like oh that is a female figure like it's just yes. very obvious they do it intentionally and just so that you know like this is a female figure who's the the you know nighttime superhero or whatever. Yeah, very graceful. Yes. you know, very uh, very um, just kind of fluid character. Like which Catwoman contrasts- if she had a cape and a bit a big flowy hat. Yeah, which contrasts well with like the the Lucas character who's like just getting in a car, and you're like, wow, okay, this guy's just a a huge brick house just yeah. getting into a car. Got it. Love that it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I wanted to say something that I really liked about this is that you find out about halfway through the episode that Cyber Six is actually uh, the the character that she is portraying during the daytime is Adrian Seidelman. And so Adrian Seidelman 
uh, and th- this is kind of, I think, going to sort of Andrew's point about how this can be very dark. Cyber Six is impersonating Adrian Seidelman uh, because Adrian Seidelman had actually died in a car accident. But we don't find that in the first episode, right? Yeah, we don't I saw find that, that in the, the first notes, episode. But, okay. Yeah. But I, I just I want to point out the thing that I do like. I am I promise I'm going somewhere with this. All good. Is that we have a cross-dressing hero, and we have a cross-dressing hero in this cartoon where the cross-dress portion of it is not being used for a comedic punchline. Right. This is being used as something where you know, and uh, this is something you know being used as a, a to kind of hide her identity. The, the cyber six identity from sort of the, the people who are pursuing her to make sure that, you know, she can kind of have this day to day life uh, that is a little bit incognito, you know, during the day. And then in the evenings she can kind of, you know, transform into her actual true self. We see this a lot in so many cartoons. I mean, even like Dexter's lab has Dexter dressing up sometimes as a woman to do things. All of these cartoons you know, even Bugs Bunny cartoons oh, where yeah, Bugs definitely. is dressing up as a woman. These yeah. things are all used for a comedic punchline or a comedic pursuit. Uh, and I'm not going to argue or validate whether they're successful or unsuccessful sure. in that context. But it's nice to kind of see something that's done here where it's not for humor. This is just... It's also like it's kind of a riff on the transformation between alter ego and superhero persona, right? Right. With Batman, it's usually like he finds a dark space and he's always got his like bat suit on underneath and he just throws a cape and cowl on and he's good to go. Or he has to go into his bat cave or whatever and, and make the transformation. For Superman, it's much more uh, th- kind of theatrical. Right. He fly, you know, he just steps into the phone booth, which don't exist anymore. Or just like, <laughs> you know, or like the Flash, who like speedily just like zips in and out of his own costume. The, right. the, the superhero transition, transformation, has always been part of, you know, superheroes, comic books, all that stuff. Cyber Six takes that idea, but kind of humanizes it more. There's a lot more to this transformation that tells you about the character, that tells you about their situation, that reveals, even if it just teases kind of the mystery of their of their backstory, because you're just like, wait, what? Because you see this hero, a very feminine uh, silhouette, dancing across, well, not dancing, but just like running across the rooftops and kind of gracefully... <laughs> <laughs> just just cats dancing uh, from one rooftop to the next. And then you're introduced to, you know, Adrian Seidelman, kind of an androgynous male teacher. Right. So you're probably like, okay, that's probably them. But you don't really get that punch until the, the transformation scene. Because they spend time showing Adrian kind of like disrobing and then putting on the essentially what's like a leather uh, superhero costume. So it's really interesting that they chose to kind of focus on that transition. And I was at first I was like, is this a shape-shifting character? Can they kind of change at will? Or is it just like a really good makeup job like during the day that they're masquerading as a, as a man? And like we don't get a lot of those uh, answers early on. So it's actually good because it teases and it adds a mystery element to it. And you're kind of just like, what's going on? Like why is this, why is this character going to that extent to hide their identity or change their identity or whatever it is? And that's something you don't see pretty much any <laughs> superhero cartoon. Right. And it's, you know, because they're, this is not something that's new in cartoons or even just television in general. Yeah. And so, I mean, even thinking about like live action, there was a lot of stuff that was even in MASH, you know? And in the early 80s, you know, we had Ron Mahaff, where it was uh, a character that was turning from male to female. Uh, I think it was like based on like the the temperature of the water that they were exposed to at that time. Hmm. Sort of a, you know, kind of like if you think about like Turbo Teen, like, you know, the hot and the cold going back and forth between the car. Yikes. Not 
not to the extreme of what we're obviously talking about <laughs> and watching tonight, but I, I think that it's kind of cool to sort of see how this is happening, especially if, even if I'm just mentioning and referencing Ron Mahaff, there's a lot of comedic timing and, and sort of, uh, you know, comedic elements that are added into that as well. And so it's kind of fun and interesting for me to see something that is not making light or not making fun of this. I, you know, there, we talk sometimes about like the accessibility for these cartoons, you yeah. know, and the idea that even when we're watching something, you know, like She-Ra there and princesses of power on Netflix right now, there are moments where there might be some coded language. There might be things that necessarily Dave and I aren't going to pick up on because right. guess what? They're not for us, but right. being, you know, somebody who's in the LGBTQ community watching this, they might think to themselves, Oh crap. Like, this is really cool to see. I like this message. This is something I can relate to. And this character to me is like, I would love to hear from the LGBTQ community, specifically the, the trans folks, because I wonder if this character is kind of like has become or could be a kind of cultural touchstone for people because it is a character who is constantly going back and forth between these two different identities. And maybe as the series goes on, you get a better idea of, of who they actually are. Like, are they the person who was spoiler created uh, by this kind of evil doctor and to, to, be, to be this like female android or are they kind of the the male counterpart that they assume uh, assumed the identity of or are they something in between or are they something like they someone that they haven't quite figured out who they are yet right. uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff here and add in the android aspect of it that's why I was confused I was like are they physically changing are they kind of shape-shifting uh, so it's really interesting and I'd love to hear from people in the community if this is a character who is like on your, you know, your like vision board or on your like spectrum of like characters that you look to for representation. Because it was it was different. It was really cool. And it makes me ask a lot of questions and really think about this character. Right. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, you know, another thing that I really liked about this was just the intrigue of the story. This even in this first episode, there was definitely enough that, that was teased out. Yeah where they're not going to give you everything up front. This isn't an origin story about Cyber 6 within the first episode. We didn't need that. You're kind right. of getting thrown into the middle of everything. You're seeing sort of the the result of, of Cyber 6 sort of leading this, you know, dual life, uh, suddenly becoming Seidelman and having to teach lit classes and, and go through this whole process of also kind of making a friend with Lucas. Right. And being introduced to potentially some of the threats that you're going to see within this this season, within this cartoon itself. But also how cool to just have a female superhero series back in 99. Like, I don't think, you know, we had Spider-Woman in like 78 or 79, but they don't think there was really any like solo female fronted uh, superhero flick no, uh, I mean, or series since then. Yeah. I mean, you think about all the cartoons that were in the 90s and yeah. like everybody Everything was, we've covered over 260 Yeah, everything that we have watched has been like, how many muscles can we put on a guy in Ultra Force? Uh, or how how big how can many we make Wildcats? <laughs> how giant can we make somebody from X Men the Animated Series? And and those are those are all things that did and didn't work. Right. Uh, so you know, just to kind of see something that's a little bit different. Plus, you know, you have to realize that at this point in the cultural zeitgeist, Eon Flux had been out on Liquid Television as well as also MTV. Right. Uh, in its in the Liquid Television series for shorts and then in the actual longer MTV story, dedicated stories for right. Flux for quite some time. So it's kind of fun to sort of see this continue, this motion continue of these new and different and interesting characters. And I wouldn't be surprised if this uh, comic was an influence on the Wachowskis either because obviously Matrix came out around this time and they've yeah. got a lot of those similarities. There was a kind of a whole leather thing going on throughout <laughs> the pop culture at this time too. So 
I wouldn't be surprised since that comic had been around for almost 10 years previous to that. I wouldn't be surprised if they were influenced in some way uh, by that as well. Yeah. No. What other good stuff here for you outside of the the main character who's who could, we could do a whole episode just on Cyber Six, I'm sure. Right. No, I I liked. I know that you mentioned you know about you liking the the Lucas character. Yeah. Uh, you know he kind of reminded me, and I know that we've talked about sort of just the influences, a little bit of Detective Bullock from Batman the Animated Series. A little bit, sure. Sort of a weird kind of just boxy dude. Blonde Bullock. Uh, yeah, blonde Bullock. I like it. Uh, I liked some of the the characters. I, I honestly think that some of the characters were were interesting. I'll talk a little bit about in the bad section about some of the characters that kind of get a little bit problematic for me. Yes. But even just the Von Richter not really knowing a lot. And I don't even know that you really sort of get super introduced to him. No, you don't. I don't uh, think they say his name. I don't think they say his name. I think no. they just kind of you just see sort of uh, a bunch of. Uh, like kind of, you know, scrolls You get the, the Dr. Claw treatment where it's yeah. just kind of like you don't get the full picture yet. And he's in a chair and he's whispering sinisterly. Well, you sinisterly? Know, you get, sinisterly? Yeah. Sure. You get you get sort of the 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 crawl through like his lab. And I you love see all that. these things that are inside of like all these giant, uh, they look like, you know, fetuses that are going to grow and, you know, turn into something. And you've seen these monsters already in the show. And you're like, That's what I was asking. So like, is he, is he growing his own like mutant henchmen? Is that what they're supposed to be? Yeah, I'm assuming this is like a box garden, like outside of like a windowsill, <laughs> but just like full of weird mutants. So he just plucks them out when they're when they're yeah, ready to harvest yeah, yeah, and exactly. sends them out. That makes just sense. a real real green thumb. But I, I did like Lucas too. But he reminded me of Richard Aldana, who we talked about in Last Man when we such reviewed a, that as such well. Such a good show. He's just like a big brawler kind of guy. Like that's right. it. He doesn't have any superpowers. It's weird that he's the biology teacher and then becomes <laughs> this like super like crime fighting like brawler all of a sudden. But it works for him. And uh, I just like that that touch, too. Yeah. It definitely felt like there was somebody that had a conversation with him, and they're like, look, we know that on your aptitude test, you tested well for either bio teacher or boxer. But I'm going to be honest with you, the longevity in your career as a boxer, kind of short. Bio <laughs> teacher, though, you could go on forever. But then who knew he was going to run into Cyber 6? What's funny about that, though, is that I know the kids who went to certain schools where it was like, their math teacher was also their gym teacher or their football coach. And it's kind of just like, yeah. not to say that you can't do both, but you know, maybe it was one of those situations where they were like, well, we need a, a, a gym teacher and a bio teacher. So you get to be both until we find a replacement. <laughs> maybe he was also just subbing that day for bio who really sure knows? it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that a lot of these characters were, were very interesting. You know, we get sort of these uh, dumb bad guys, which they call either technos or fixed ideas. I didn't get that at all because they just called them like mutes at one point. They just called them like a mutie. They call them mutants. And so, you know, just sort of doing a little bit of research just to try to figure out what they were actually called. Sure. I came up with fixed ideas or technos, but they're just sort of the dumb henchmen uh, guys that sort of, you know, either have like weird kind of haircuts that look like Guile from Street Fighter 2. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and get beat to the ground just as quickly. So it's kind of interesting to see. But we could do an entire episode on them too, because I don't know how they're made. I don't know why they're called fixed ideas or technos. It makes no sense to me. I don't know why they turn into a vial of apparently green acid when they die. Like, I don't know what's happening with these guys. And that was, that was part of the bad section. So what else didn't really work for you uh, before I start ranting? Okay. Well, I'd say the main thing for me that did not work for this comic book is that I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm very tired of the trope regarding using Nazis mm. as the villains. Yeah. And I, I, 
it's not to say, and I, I want to go on record, Nazis are terrible. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad like, that in the year 2020, you still have yeah, to say that. We but still have what? to preface we this shit. Do. Yeah. We still have to preface this. And I, I just, I want to say Nazis are awful. Uh, don't want them anymore. There's also a part of me that's sort of, I kind of, I, there's like a small part of me that sort of understands why they decided to go in this way. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this in the LOL as well. But you realize that this was created, uh, you know, in, in part by uh, like an Argentinian, uh, you know, artist and writer for an Italian comic book series. And so there was obviously historically the idea that after World War II, there were yeah. a lot of Nazis that fled to Argentina right. and were there. And so this is something that I'm sure was ingrained sort of in their brains uh, in terms of like things that could potentially happen. Uh, but l let's be honest. These are just awful, terrible people, not Argentinians, the Nazis. <laughs> but I think they specifically went there clear. too, not only to escape uh, extradition or, or whatever, but also to the idea was to continue sort of like the experimentation that they had been Correct. doing. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, so this could be an extension from that, like a little, a little very far-fetched, but an interesting kernel of an idea. It just felt so foreign. Everything yeah. about this series felt like I was watching through like, a weird filter that it didn't quite translate to English well for me. So I was struggling to kind of like follow what was going on a lot of the times. And I think for me, like for, for a cartoon and like an idea like this, I, I just sort of like my, my hope was like, Oh man, this is like, this seems like he's a pretty, he's a pretty big bad guy. Yeah. You know, this, this, this guy, I hope he has just like terrible evil motives. And they're like, he does, but he's also a Nazi. And I'm like, he doesn't need doesn't more need qualifications. Both, I mean, I like, guess fine. I, yeah, I guess I'm fine. I, I but will you don't even get a nod to that in this episode, really, except for little Jose, who just like goose steps into the room, but that's yep. all you And get. that's, that's really kind of like that, that happened. And I actually had to go back then and do some research on the show. And okay. then I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, our big bad guy, Von Richter is actually, he's, you know, he's from like a terrible group of Nazis that went to Argentina that were doing research and stuff oh, like that. Okay. And then this this Hitler youth who comes in and goose steps through the room. I'm like, I never thought in 2020 I'd have to say, man, I could really do without the the Hitler youth goose stepping his way through a room in a cartoon. Oh, here we are, though. <laughs> And, What's and, crazy is Jose grew up to basically be the new face uh, of that movement that we're seeing today in this oh, country. So that's fun Jesus. that Jose's a real person. God. Neat. It, I, I, yeah, I guess that was the big thing is I was like, I, I didn't need, uh, I didn't want it to be Nazis. Right. I, like, I just kind of wanted them to be nefarious and evil for, for just being evil's sake. Sure. Uh, it's enough I, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a part of me that like, I do understand culturally and historically why these artists and authors would have incorporated this into the 1991 comic book series that they would have created. Sure. So there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I, I get it. But, you know, I think the thing that's challenging is that you think, you know, from from 91 until now, that's like 29 years. Just I feel like everybody refers to anything that's bad under any circumstances. Oh, man, what a Nazi. And I'm just like, no, they are not. They are correcting your grammar. <laughs> Chill the hell out. You know, that's also a very specific sort of like, evil. Yeah. Learn better grammar. You know, if that's really the case. Yeah. It's it's, just, it's a, such an overused at this point, it almost feels trite. If your grammar is so bad that a literal Nazi it chooses to correct you on your grammar of all things, then your grammar is awful. Yeah, it's atrocious. Terrible. When even a Nazi is is. So that that was really kind of like my big, 
main thing that I did not like. I feel like it's it's so overused. Yeah. I, I just I didn't want to see it anymore. But I'm sure back in 1999, somebody was probably like Nazis. They're terrible. They'll never come back. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and here we what are. a time to be alive, gang. Or Dave, not if the yeah. Nazis get you. Yeah. Uh, Dave, what what didn't resonate? What did you not like about Cyber Six? Uh, so a little on the less like kind of dramatic or, or Nazi side of things, just just minor stuff like some pacing issues in this first episode because yeah. it was just uh, kind of all over the place. It, structurally, it was kind of hard to follow. There wasn't a nice uh, solidified like third, like three acts or anything. It was just kind of just kind of run and gun a lot of times. Uh, sometimes there was action happening sort of like in the background as our characters were walking across the foreground. And it was sort of like the villains would pass behind the heroes who were crossing in front of them. And they just kind of like crossed in the night and didn't, you know, recognize each other. It was a little strange. Uh, there were there were things like, you know, uh, a villain would say like, you two stay here while the other hero was already out of the room. And then somehow they just like switched places and it was really tough to kind of keep track of where everybody yeah. was just stuff like that just just basic logistics um another kind of larger point the action while it was good the action sequences were pretty well crafted it felt too big for the screen that they had it felt too big for the space that they allotted for it so a lot of kind of super close-ups on like big you know, full body action kind of sequences. And I don't know if we watched the crop version where it was not supposed to be that zoomed in mm. or if that's just how they did it uh, originally, but it, it felt very um, too zoomed in. Uh, and then, like I said, some, some language barrier stuff with some of the translations that didn't quite add up, but honestly, most of that, I kind of blame it on the edit or some of the translation issues, but for the most part, I really enjoyed it. Good. I didn't have too many, too many qualms with it. I did have well, a lot of LOLs though. Yeah. Because I want to get into these yeah. LOLs because I know we got a lot of them. Yeah. So what <sighs> I'm almost I want to kind of approach these LOLs from just sort of we, we've talked about this is that the the artist and the writer yeah. are from Argentina. So right. they're Argentinian and they did this comic book in 1991, right. which was then written for an Italian comic book magazine. But it wasn't even translated back into Spanish until 1993. Right. So we've already gone through like two different translations in two right. years. Right. So in 1995, they had a live action version That's of this that was created. And then in 1990 is when they had this Canadian and Japanese animation studio sort of split the, the work they were doing. Actually, that divide that they had between uh, Canada and Japan, that's actually what led to them not being able to make a second season were mm. disagreements between the two production studios. That makes sense. So it just, it tore them, plus it Y2K. literally tore them apart. Yeah, yeah. plus Y2K. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's 1999 is like when we have this actually premiere, this first season. And there's a lot of French and Parisian music that is taking place that occurs in this cartoon. I always, I for the longest time, because I've covered this before, I thought it was a French production. Without digging too much into like the actual production of it, I thought it was a French production. Because right. it felt like we were watching, you know, like Last Man, which was a French production. It felt, right. maybe it was because it was like, um, it was in Vancouver. So I don't know if it was like sort of a French-Canadian production. But there were definitely French influences on it from, from my right. experience. You know, so we we have a lot of these these like French influences. Again, this is animated by both Japan and Canada, and it is dubbed and translated into the English language. Uh, so there's a lot of steps that every possible step that it goes through. I don't know what it is, but they just all kind of like tickled me in the right way, where I was like, these things should have fallen apart during one of these steps in this process, and yet this cartoon is still 
really freaking good. Yeah. And so I, I have to, I like that just unintentionally made me laugh where I was like, we had every opportunity to screw this up. And yet somehow you managed to prevail. I mean, I, kudos I, to you. That's kind of funny. I love when stuff like that comes together though. And you actually get something like not just serviceable, but actually like enjoyable and entertaining out of it. Now, granted, I did just say that it was a mess and I had a tough time following it, but it makes me want to watch more. It makes me want to watch more so I can see more of this character, so I can see more about how the character relationships develop, so I can find out more about the mystery or what the F is going on in this. Because I still have no clue what's going on after watching the first episode and even after hearing, you know, the background and stuff like that. But it makes me want to watch more because the animation's pretty quality and it's something I hadn't seen before. So right. I like that. You know what I did not expect to see? What? At the beginning of this? Yeah. A, a gargoyles? Kind of homage? <laughs> was I crazy, or was that just Goliath's silhouette? At the no, very there were definitely there was definitely there were definite moments where they panned over, and I was like, "Is that Lexington down there?" And, and I don't know what it was. Just the architecture, the number was it, of maybe gargoyles. TMS, that they maybe had. TMS did animation for both. I can't remember. I know that was Disney, but they outsourced the TMS sometimes. So that might have been TMS. That could have been TMS. I don't know why they just maybe they needed to fill the screen, and they were just like, <laughs> "Well, we got these leftovers from gargoyles, so we'll just stuff them in here." But it was so weird because the first thing you see after, I think it was even before Lucas gets in the car, it was just like it pulls back, pans back, and it's just Goliath. You know, the big purple gargoyle, you see the silhouette of him just like crouched with his, uh, you know, the thinking in repose. And I'm just like, okay, I guess we got gargoyles in this show for some reason. Very strange. And they showed it again, but he's huge. Like the scale of it was really weird. I don't know if they stamped it on the screen and were just like figure it out or if there's a giant Goliath statue somewhere in that city. I have no idea. Yeah, it was very silly. Yeah. And, And speaking of silly stuff, there was like. Normally you see Batman like in, in single-minded pursuit across the rooftops. Like something is happening at – he's at point A, something's happening at point B, and he's going directly there. Like nothing right. is stopping him. At this point, we kind of see our hero. She's just kind of, kind of – I guess she's doing a patrol. It looks like she's you know leaping with some uh, intention to go to a certain place, but then she hears like screams or crashes or whatever, and she kind of like stops and looks back. And then heads in the other direction. So it was kind of weird to just see them do like an about face. Like, is there so much going on that you can't handle everything yourself? Or like, were you just on a patrol? Right. Just, just weird choices like that. That It makes me question, like, was that an editing decision or was that actually scripted? Sometimes that takes mm-hmm. me out of it. Sometimes it makes me pay more attention. So I don't know. I want to say there is something that made us both laugh yeah. a lot. Yeah, talk about which, these kids. Let's talk about these hoodlum kids. How do I reach have, these, these kids? These school punks that we have that we see at one at one point. And, and this is it's interesting just because we have Adrian Seidelman, who is uh, walking back from from school and to kind of set the context uh, was something maybe that I think Dave Dave maybe did not like, uh, you know, in this cartoon is that Adrian is teaching his lit class and there is a female student that is in <laughs> yeah. love with him, that is yeah. flirting with him. She's writing notes that are on a heart that says, I think I'm in love with you. She's placing it in his book. She's obviously overtly flirting with him in the middle of this class. The age appropriateness of this not working to the show's advantage in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Uh, uh, The the Adrian uh, slash cyber six that thankfully kind of uh, puts an end to it. Doesn't really address it, but just sort of takes this heart note and kind of crumbles it and puts it on the desk. Like I'm not interested, you know, not going to happen. So at some point, Adrian is then later that day walking home from school, gets pulled into an alley by these these kids. And I want to say 
I don't know if this was just translation or editing or a combination of the both of them, but you could not make out at all what these people have said. And now you might think to yourself, Sean, I know, look, you're getting a little bit older. Maybe your hearing's not working <laughs> I so mean, well. maybe, because yeah. I was on the same boat. Maybe, maybe there's some problems with that. No, I watched this scene five times in a row to write down and translate some of these things. <laughs> this is the stuff that I was able to pull out of here. Well, and I get? don't know why this made me laugh so hard, but it did. Because it's ridiculous I, whether it's ridiculous. this is what it actually is or not. And it was probably people in the booth trying to match whatever the, like, the, the original language was, trying to match their mouth flaps of whatever they were saying with just like absolute gibberish. Right. So we have one guy who goes, uh, you at ground zero, Romeo man, followed by, I told him to fusion, Despa. <laughs> followed by, chill dude, you kiss off the scream queen. Then, gonna tag your bike, and then it's a bing bango. <laughs> followed by, this is my favorite. This is a good hey, one. Hey, hey, 3D11. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for two seconds, for like the first four listens to it, I thought he said, hey, 311 and i was like wait what? and then 311 just started playing it was so weird it was very weird they started uh, playing amber it was super chill all of a sudden it was great it's the color just of got my along. energy it is yeah. whoa yeah it's just a it, it's it's so weird and this scene happens so fast and it's really just kind of like a throwaway scene just it's a tropey allow, scene for sure yeah, yeah just to allow adrian to get introduced to lucas right and that's that's really the only way this is sort of i i hate and i i'm hesitant to use the word this is also like their cute meat but Kinda. It was. And yeah. and honestly, getting into some spoiler territory, when you watch the end credits of this first episode, they do a weird thing where they're like it's like clip uh video of of right. things that happen later in the series. So you just watch the first episode and like here's things that happen later. So there's actually like some kind of romantic interest between Cyber Six and Lucas. We don't know if that exists between Lucas and Adrian or if they, you know, if if Lucas knows Adrian's uh identity as Cyber Six at that point. We right. don't know. Um, so that was kind of weird and not that they were like in a romantic entanglement, but that they would show that without waiting for you to actually get to the point. Yeah. Right. And if I said cute meat, I meant meat cute. (laughs) Either one. Yeah. Either one. They shared some cute meat between the both of them. Yeah. It was was a nice porterhouse. Nice cup of coal. (laughs) Well, what's interesting with these punk kids though, it could have just been a translation issue where they were just like spouting gibberish. So whatever came out and made them laugh was fine. Or we don't get a good sense of when this is set. Like, no. I don't know if it was supposed to be contemporary. I don't know if it's supposed to be futuristic because we've got, like, android humanoids running around. So I didn't know if it was supposed to be, like, something in the future. This could be kind of like a patois, like a, a futuristic kind of, like, street language. I have no clue what these kids were saying. Yeah. Drove no. me nuts. These kids. And as someone who's written terrible, like, fake futuristic street language for, like, fictional characters, like, this still <laughs> made me crazy. So I'll probably go back and edit that out. It's definitely cringeworthy. So yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's worth it. Hey, you know my favorite thing uh, about the plot of this, other than Nazis and giant mutants uh, that turn into vials of acid for some reason? Now what? The printing press. Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> the whole so silly. The whole plot of this particular episode is that these these mutants, these zero fixed ideas, whatever they're called. Yeah. Technos. They're basically like they're kidnapping people who have experience and expertise in a printing press for money. So they basically just want to make a bunch of money using the actual like federal press where they would actually make money at the mint. And uh, they just want to print money. They yeah, kidnap like an engraver. And then they're tell me what is the deal with all the villains having like a weird black stripe across like their nose to distinguish them as villains. 
I don't know. Is it I mean, supposed to be thought, a shadow? Is it like a weird thing from their cloning? Or I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, I honestly, if, if you couldn't tell that they were bad because of the color palette and that they're all green and kind yeah. of like a weird, kind of like throw up Off. blue. Yeah. Yeah. Just not good. Not quite human. Not quite there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, yeah. I, the, I think maybe it was something just to kind of show sort of like the mutant nature of them. I didn't know if it was that or if it was like a weird shading thing or like, like, cause uh, I think it's Noelle Stevenson. I don't know if it's her style or just her artist style, but they have this like this weird mm-hmm. kind of like oval that goes across their, the bridge of their nose to show kind of like the, the shading under their eyes. Yeah. It bothers me, but I get why it's there. It sure. looked kind of like that on these villains, but only the villains had it. So it was just weird. It was a weird uh, call out for that. Yeah. But it was a fun, it was a funny artistic choice that just like watching it, you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. And it was also cause like, again, this was 20 years old and we're kind of watching it in not the, the crispest, you know, video presentation. So I was like an inch from my monitor just being like, what is happening on this screen? Cause I can't even see what's happening. Dave, are you saying that in 1999 watching this on a CRT television <laughs> that you didn't in, in four, three aspect ratio that you didn't have perfect clarity into these little nose goofs? I bet you the curve of the TV actually <laughs> made it like more Ugh. choice. I bet you. Gross. Uh, weird you want to know one other thing that bugged me in this but made me laugh out loud too yeah what not just the drinking of the acid or whatever was going on with all that uh the fact that they left so much food on that table oh yeah adrian and lucas are like out for breakfast for whatever reason one day and adrian has like a little plate of like eggs or something lucas has about 15 plates of like every breakfast food imaginable there's like pancakes and sausage and crepes and almost whatever and then he pulls out the thing of acid, and she's like, put it away, got to go. And they just leave, just leave the table full of food. Beelines for the door. Yeah. 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 That, that was, was it, though. It just made me laugh. Uh, what else you got? Uh, just a couple lines. There was the, the the Lucas line where, you know, his house has now been broken into twice. <laughs> it's been broken. And, like, yeah, it's, and it's, been, it's been destroyed. Yeah. And he he's sitting in there, and he's been, like, thrown up against the wall, and there's, like, a, a page of homework that's, like, resting on his body. Yeah. And he just looks, and he goes, I guess that's enough homework for tonight. Oh, and I so just, bad. I went, what the actual F. heck am F I for that homework. Like, yeah, just what? Yeah, of course. Sure. Dude, you have been concussed like yeah. twice. Your place has been broken into multiple times. <laughs> I think, I think maybe homework is like the least of your worries that you have to focus on. Tonight. I think you're good. Yeah. I, I love that though, because that was like the Richard Aldana uh, kind of yeah. character. He'd get, beat up and then just have like a funny one-liner and that would smash cut in the episode so i think these two get these two together they could be a lot of fun yeah i'd say probably my my final thing that really made me <laughs> lol in this is the idea that like back when i was a kid yeah uh any bad guy always had a bazooka of course. now we're fighting these mutants you know for a majority of this episode and then suddenly during the fight that they have that's in the warehouse, there's one of the mutants that pulls out a bazooka. To me, I was like, this is chef's kiss, quintessential bad guy, villainy stuff. Yep. And I loved every minute of it. Like the, an 11-year-old version of me was just like, every bad guy gets a bazooka. It's and I, it just it filled, it filled that hole in my heart. And I laughed so hard at this. I was like, where did he get, you know what? Of course, he's a villain. He has to have a bazooka. I Perfect. feel like there are so few things to actually entice people to be like a villain's henchman. Now, these guys oh, were yeah. grown in a, in a tube in a vat of a lab, so it doesn't even matter. But yeah. there's so many henchmen throughout the course of like history, comic book history especially, that like there has to be an incentive. So I would imagine that each of them gets like a bazooka. 
Everybody, <laughs> that's, that's everybody that signs up gets a vial of acid and a bazooka. Exactly. Like, cool. Yeah. Cool, here's my man. Name. Probably going to get beat to a pulp by some superheroes. But <laughs> if I get to use that bazooka once, it's worth it. Uh, yeah, I think that that was my final LOL. Anything yeah, else that made you laugh? Uh, not not specifically. Just some of the kind of like non sequiturs and stuff. Just like I said from editing. But nothing specific. It was, it was pretty solid throughout. Yeah. All right. Well, we've obviously had an opinion about this and andrew obviously had an opinion on this but hey guess what turns out that you listening yeah you right now you have opinions as well and you love to put them on the internet for the world to read and so we have gone over to imdb to get a user review and we're going to turn this over to longtime listener in front of the show bobby anthem for this week's i guess it's just love it sure this week's love it bobby take it away this user review is titled Great Fun by LHO3323370, and I'm pretty sure that's a phone number. LHO wrote this on July 14th, 2001, and said, My enemy Aaron watches this show, and so do I. Well, Jose, the enemy of Cyber 6, tries to trap her. At the end, Jose ends up with misfortune. I love this cartoon. I hope there's a spinoff of this show. I miss this show. Then Cyber Six's buddy tries to save her. There was an episode of this program where Jose put Cyber Six in an hourglass filled with water. <laughs> I love everything about this user review on IMDb <laughs> because they start this out with my enemy Aaron. And you know what? <laughs> if you're named Aaron, this could be you. It could surprise, be you. Surprise. You could be an enemy. You're the enemy, Aaron. Uh, I love everything about that. It makes me laugh. So... Let's get into our actual reviews. Yeah. And the way that we're going to handle this and approach this is that we can recommend Cyber 6 and we can tell you why. Or we can say, we don't think it's worth your time. We don't give it a recommendation. And we can provide a justification. If we don't like something, we can go one step further and we can dip the cartoon. And that is, of course, from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the dip, where they use it to erase cartoons. That's right. We could hypothetically erase Cyber 6 from the annals of cartoon history. But tonight... I'm going to turn it over to you first, Dave. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings on Cyber 6? So for the last couple of weeks, I've mentioned that if I'm going to dip a cartoon, it's pretty much like an instant gut reaction. Like I know instantly if I'm going to dip it. The same could be said for like strong recommendations. And that's that's the way I'm leaning for this one because it's one of the (laughs) the few cartoons that we've watched where I actually want to go see more. I don't feel compelled to because it's just like, well, all right, I have to do it to find out what happens. So I actually want to know what is going on in this bonkers show. The fact that it only had one season uh, makes that a little easier, but it also, I'm a little concerned that like you won't get enough story and I'll probably have to do some background research into the comics, but like it's a rare cartoon, you know, in the five plus years that we've been doing this that I'm actually just like, yeah, I would actually like to go out and, and, and check out more of this. So yeah, I'll give it a recommendation and tell everybody out there to, to check it out. And hopefully we get some more conversation about this one, especially if people haven't seen it before. But what about you, bud? No, I, this is a, a strong recommendation for me as well. Nice. There were elements that kind of bridged a lot of things that I was familiar with that had sort of those nostalgic touch points that I enjoyed, sort of the the Batman the Animated Series, the, the Eon Flux, uh, Gargoyles. Randomly. I'll even, yeah, randomly. I'll even say that there was a, a little bit of this that sort of felt uh, Alita Battle Angel for me. Sure, yeah. And I've been reading uh, the uh, got manga. Nice. Yeah, I've been I've been reading the manga for Alita, and so this this kind of hit home and sort of that you know stranger in a in a foreign land trying to kind of understand 
uh, you know, who they are, sort of what their purpose or what their intention is. There was definitely enough from this first episode that sort of teased at a larger story that I'm now very interested and invested in watching. Plus, I, and I do say this is a plus, there's only a first season, you know? Yeah, so this isn't something yeah. that I'm going to get trapped into for, for years and years and years. Plus, there's a comic book that I'm sure has probably been translated to English, and I can actually go back and read the comic book and see what the original author's intent was. I can see all of the weird vampire, quote unquote, not a vampire moments where we have Cyber Six sucking people's necks for whatever the the green substances that she needs to use to to live. All of that's kind of weird. And there's so much stuff that seems, you know, not only from the challenging things that we talked about, but there's enough that's here that kind of intrigues me. I'm in the same boat as you, Dave. Yeah. I definitely want to learn and and understand more about this show. Cool. So two strong recommendations. Two Go strong recommendations. Out. And that which means, hey Andrew, thank you for the recommendation. Good work, bud. Yeah, you did it. You made us watch something that we actually both agree on that we love. Not <laughs> so. you, Aaron. You're our enemy. Yeah, exactly. Well, you heard him on this week's episode, our friend Bobby Anthem. You can hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. And Bobby also has his own solo show that is in the Inhuman Experience stream, which is called In Search of My Lost Soul. It's available anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, go check it out. It's a joy. Bobby's a joy. Thank you as always, Bobby. Hey, Dave. What do you got going on, friend? Same old stuff, but as of this recording, I'm still an editor over at Collider.com. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at DrClawMD. And if you want to do some reading, you can check out The Science of Breaking Bad from MIT Press, available wherever dem books are sold. How about you, bud? What's going on? Oh, man. As always, as of this recording, I still perform live improv comedy in Washington, D.C. with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. Uh, you can find tickets and times witdc.org. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. I am sometimes there, sometimes not. I'm trying to 2020 might be the year where I'm just like, maybe I don't use social media anymore. Nice. I don't know. That's Take probably not the case. Uh, but I also have to post. I have been recording a, uh, a comedy podcast with uh, some friends that have been guests on this show wow. uh, being Isabel Galbraith and Jamal Newman. And it is called The Bureau. And I have to find if it's actually published out for the entire world to listen to. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to hear a comedy podcast about four people that are fictitiously working at the FBI who are kind of illegally recording a podcast about some of their work experiences, check out The Bureau. That'll be coming up soon. I like it. Looking yeah, forward for, to that one. Yeah, for at least the first season. So it's, uh, it's definitely very silly. And I play a health and human resources character. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Which is a joy and a privilege. <laughs> but want to support us? It's super easy. You can go over to Patreon and you can search Saturday Morning Cartoons or you can click any of the links that we have on our social media to go support us on Patreon. You can also just tell a friend. You can review us on Apple iTunes. We honestly don't know how Apple iTunes works. It's still a mystery to us. We do this for five and a half years and it's just pretty much magic at this point. Who knows? if these recommendations actually work or if they don't. But we've also recently had some people who have reviewed us and we've been able to give them shout outs. So I don't know. We'll give you a shout out at the beginning of the show if you give us a good or bad review, either or. As always, slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Just remember that's morning with you. 
And you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned email, SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these and more on our link tree, such as Andrew did in order to recommend today's cartoon. We have a list of all the cartoons that we've watched. You can submit all the places where you can listen to us, like YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold. That is going to do it for Cybersex. Dave, we did it. We did it. We came together at the end of here. Yep. All finished. Boy. (laughs) Nothing left but the cleanup. Thanks for listening. Exactly. Thank you, guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.